Thank you for tuning in to High Green, the official podcast of the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society. High Green is funded by your membership in the society, and any opinions expressed throughout the show are solely those of the owner. As always, if you'd like to learn more about our organization or join us, you can find our website, www.bmrrhs.org. Perhaps this story hasn't been told in B&M circles, but it's, it's a B&M story and it's a good one. Oh my God, he says, I don't think I ever saw a train down here before. <laughs> he was abused. I still had that wanderlust. I still want to go back railroad. Hello and welcome back to High Green, the official podcast of the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society. Today we're going to continue our oral history series with a great presentation given at the Suncook Valley Railroad Historical Society in 1974 by Norton D. Clark, also known as Skip Clark. Skip was a prominent railroad historian, photographer, and personality known to many. He passed away in March of 1992, but his name pops up continuously in books, photographs, and along the history lines of the Boston and Maine and other New England railroads. The Suncook Valley Railroad was an interesting operation. It's probably one of the more famous New England short lines. The Suncook Valley Railroad from Suncook to Center Barnstead was originally constructed as a route to connect with the Boston and Maine at Alton, New Hampshire, but the Civil War cut those dreams short. The line was eventually operated by the Boston and Maine before referring to an independent railroad, the Suncook Valley Railroad, in the 1920s. Suncook Valley Railroad ceased operations in 1952 after a brief dieselization period using a 44-ton GE diesel locomotive, but remains one of the more famous and nostalgic railroad lines in the state of New Hampshire, mostly for its Yankee charm, its bucolic scenery into the deep recesses of rural New Hampshire. The Suncook Valley Railroad was also the favorite railroad of noted rail historian Brent S. Michaels, who passed away in March of this year. Brent lived in Suncook and was a good friend to myself and many others in the community. It is him we have to thank for this recording and for many other things having to do with the New England and New Hampshire railroad communities. We hope you enjoy Skip Clark's recollections of the Suncook Valley Railroad. Now, at uh, the last meeting, I told you I would have two guest speakers today. One, Mr. Ed Lewis and Mr. Norton Clark. Mr. Ed Lewis, in the interim, has become vice president of the Strasbourg Railroad in Strasbourg, Pennsylvania. Therefore, he is unable to be here today, but I just expressed a desire he would like us to be here at some future date when he can make an uh, arrangement. I did get uh, Mr. Norton Clark, otherwise known as Skip Clark. I'd like to present him to you at this time. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, actually I'm here as moral support for Ed, and as George says, Ed couldn't make it. So uh, I guess I've got to kind of fill in for Ed in the meantime. Uh, <clears throat> what I was going to uh, try and tell you about was some of my experiences up here on the Suncook Valley. Uh, I'm kind of a newcomer, I suppose you'd say, up here, because I look around there's a number of you that are at least five years older than what I am. Although I do see some bald-headed men in the back there that are just as great lovers as I am. <laughs> However, 
My grandparents moved up into the area here back in 1932, which is about the time of my existence, coming into existence. And so I have been coming up into the area since that time. However, uh, my family had a mutual friend who some of you people that are local here might know, Bill Ely, who was originally from Newton, Massachusetts. And Bill came up here to work, I believe, in 1904 with the post office department because at that time, Bill had come down with TB. And he was told that he had to take an outside job and go somewhere where he could get out in the fresh air and that would take care of him. So therefore, that put Bill Ely over here in the area. My folks knew the family from down in Newton, so between my grandparents in Farmington, New Hampshire, and Bill over here in Pittsfield, why, uh, this used to bring me over here in the area. Now, as I say, I'm still a newcomer. I never paid too much attention to the Suncook Valley until, I would say, about 1946, 47, maybe even as late as 1948. Uh, it was, as far as I was concerned, another railroad and somewhat like the B&M. The engine was similar to the B&M's, but yet, uh, really later on, I found it was not. And I didn't really pay much attention until there was an announcement made that the Suncook Valley Railroad was going to cease steam operation, and they had bought a new diesel, and they were going to modernize and get up with the big main line they connected. So at that time, why... I thoroughly convinced my dad that he should loan me the car. I should be allowed to take him come up here and at least have a last trip on the last day of steam on the Suncook. Well, <clears throat> you say, I've been over through here before. I've taken a few pictures downtown here and seen the train and like that. Talked to the hostler on Sundays when we've been through, but never had ridden the railroad until this last day. Well, we went over to Concord, New Hampshire. You can better tell me than I than what time the train left Concord. It would be the first trip out of Concord in the morning. I would say it must have been somewhere 10 o'clock, 10.30, give or take that area. And one of the things that was most outstanding in my memory was that there was a woman whose grandchild had come up from the big city, and she was bringing the grandchild over here to Pittsfield to take and spend the weekend. Well, she had missed the bus by about two or three minutes. And of course the bus ran just about, if I remember right, the same time that the train did, but considerably faster. Like I think from Concord over here was, oh, 50 minutes or an hour, give or take, and the train was uh, more apt to be like uh, two or three hours, give or take, depending on what the amount of business was or wasn't. Well, another buddy of mine and myself boarded the train at Concord, the old lady with her granddaughter, and away we shuffled. We didn't run, we shuffled. Over to Bow Junction, up into Suncook. There was considerable business at the time. I think we had seven or eight cars, give or take. They did all kinds of go-rounds and merry-go-rounds and back and forth, and they shifted cars back and forth at Suncook, and uh, this was quite impressed. I was a rail fan, and uh, my gosh, there was uh, more than adequate time to get out and take pictures. Uh, Don Robinson will verify the fact because he was on the property that day. I remember, as a matter of fact, he's in a couple of my photographs. And uh, after shuffling around, why the train proceeded to go up the hill and turn around and come back and get the train and then go back up the hill again where they had a switchback, which I wasn't acquainted with. And uh, so theoretically, the train left out of Suncook the wrong way. 
and uh, then they finally got shifted around and we were headed in the right direction. Well, we diddled along and diddled along, and we got up to, I guess, uh, Allenstown and over into Short Falls and came all the way up through into Epsom, and when we got up into Epsom, <coughs> why, there was more freight to be handled than Epsom. Well, anyway, on that first day, getting up into uh, Pittsfield here, I believe that we were somewhere in the nature of between an hour and an hour and a half late, which was quite a bit later than normal, or at least as far as I was concerned, it was quite a bit later than normal. And I can remember the poor old woman with a granddaughter, there was no drinking water at the time, they had run out of drinking water, somebody had forgot to fill it, and they normally did carry drinking water. That's one thing up here on the Suncook train, I remember. Almost all, when they got down into Concord, they did fill up and they had ice water. And they did have B&M paper cups, so that you could get paper cupfuls of water. But uh, the farther up we came, the old lady, she vowed that never again in God's life would she ever take that train. <laughs> she was late for dinner, she was late for everything, and by the time she got here, it was down near time to take her granddaughter back to the Concord to take and go back down to Boston again. She'd missed the whole weekend. Uh, if I recall correctly, too, on that particular trip, the steam train was to take and go back down on the afternoon trip, taking a guess. It was either a 12.30 down train or a 1.15 or 1.30, somewhere in that proximity on the afternoon train. They were to go into Concord, and the diesel was to come down from the B&M Concord shops, hitch onto the train, and that was to be the finale for the steam engine. The steam engine was to take and run deadhead behind the regular train and come back up to be up to Pittsfield here where they were going to put it to sleep. Uh, I was then late to the point that uh, my dad being on the fire department, he had to go on duty at 6 o'clock that night. I had his car and uh, it was the first time he had let me take the car, and especially this far from home, so I had to take and go back home. I did not get the first trip behind the diesel engine. Uh, at that particular point, and I believe that, that also there had been some kind of a mix-up in that the steam train did take the afternoon train back up. I may be wrong on that. Maybe Don or somebody else can verify it. Was that? You were there. Did, did the steam train go back up? Yeah, the, the diesel came up light. I was going to say, it seemed to me that there had been some kind of a foul-up. The diesel that they procured for the railroad uh, was uh, kind of a misfit from the beginning. Maybe I shouldn't say it, George was in the Army and so was I, but it was an Army engine, and it had seen better days. I think it had been in the Battle of the Bulge and several other battles. And uh, on being shipped up here to Concord, to have the B&M kind of rejuvenate it, paint it up, it had somewhere along the line struck a low bridge and cleaned the whole top of it off. <laughs> and the first thing that they had to do was take and rebuild the roof on it. I shouldn't say they took the whole top off, but they very badly damaged it. So to start out with, the engine had to be repaired by the B&M before it could even be fixed up and sent over here. The engine operated very spasmatically. The trackage up here, as most of you well know, was anything but a mainline track in the latter days. I think it's one of the few lines I've ridden where the curves were straight rails bent only at the joints by the fact that they were loose. <laughs> uh, God help the poor guy that had a hernia or anything riding on the train because it would be a double one when he got down the end. Um, <clears throat> on a diesel such as they had purchased, 
which was only a switch diesel. They were trying to run an op uh, uh, operate with it in a manner which the engine was not really built to do. The engine was probably uh, geared for somewhere 24, 25 miles an hour, give or take. It was a connecting rod engine so that it had two electric motors on the trucks and the outer wheels were connected by connecting rods to the inner ones. This was to take and give it power for all four wheels all the way around. Well, trying to pull a passenger car, which weighed quite a bit in tonnage because it was an old wooden one, and whatever freight there was, and maintain a schedule, it just wasn't for that locomotive. Believe me, it wasn't. And I can remember that in the month of June, why <clears throat> that particular engine operated exactly one day out of the entire month of June. There were no trains run other than up to Suncook. The Suncook Valley was able to take and lease Boston and Maine 060 switch engines, and I think Pat's <coughs> father told me that he paid about $45 a day to take and borrow a B&M 060 switch engine to come up from Concord to do the shifting as far as Suncook. They could not, however, run across the old inverted covered bridge down at Suncook. That was something else again. Uh, if anything should be preserved, I think that was, if it isn't still there, it should have been preserved one way or the other. But <clears throat> all during that month of June, there was exactly one revenue or one revenue day that that train did run. The reason was that the trackage, because of its undulation, it seemed to break up the bearing, the gear bearings on the uh, motors. And I remember Oscar Bryan showed me this way what one of the bearings looked like. <laughs> I'll bet you there wasn't a piece as big as a quarter of an inch in the palm of his hand. It was just bronze and brass bushing, and that's all it was, just in little tiny pieces. And the hammering of the trucks going up and down over the bad joints and all just took and broke it all up into a million pieces. So eventually, uh, the engine was replaced with a brand spandy new General Electric 44-ton diesel, which was far more uh, to what they should have got in the first place had they been able to afford it. And the new engine, by gosh, that was really something because Oscar took great pride in it. Don't know how many here know Oscar or knew him, but uh, I have been down here on a Sunday and I have seen him Simonize the engine. I don't know if Pat's father cracked a whip and made him do it, but uh, I have seen him actually Simonize the, the engine and by gosh, that thing was slick as a whistle. The only thing that he did have a uh, complaint on was that they had built the engine for a one-man operation. So this meant the engineer being on one side, there was nobody on the opposite side to see, so they had put mirrors on the other side. Well, Oscar was a little fellow, about yay big. He couldn't see too well unless he stood on a box anyway. And those mirrors just weren't right for him. Not only that, the brush was so close that he frequently busted them, and the mirrors became a thing of the past very, very soon after the engine went into operation. Uh, in the, towards the latter part of operation, the old combine, which George spoke of earlier, somebody here said there were some beautiful pictures of it burning or something. Uh, the, the car uh, had uh, trucks on it that were fast becoming obsolete. I think for the simple reason that the main beam work in the 
uh, trucks was wood that was reinforced with steel. And the wood would crack on also the amount of times that the car went on the ground. And I know one time in particular it went on the ground for two or three days down at Pembroke, down by where the boat shop is today. And uh, it broke all the pedestal castings. These are what held your journal box on the end of the uh, wheel axles. And it broke it so badly that uh, the car had to be put out of service. The Boston and Maine did not have anything that they could sell to the Sun Cook to replace it with. And so they leased a combination baggage and mail car of a slightly newer vintage, but still it was a wooden car. Uh, that was uh, about the time that passenger service was discouraged, but not really, I wouldn't say it was terminated, because I was never refused a ride. I have sat on an egg crate many times and come up from Concord or come up from Suncook to Pittsfield and back down again. It wasn't maybe quite as comfortable as the old number three car was, but uh, the mail clerk still was able to cancel a postcard, which I sent home to take and prove to my folks where I was and what I had been doing. And also, thank goodness to this day, I did, because many of you know that RPO cancellations are uh, very much a collectible item. Thank goodness I got a boodle of Suncook Valley cancellation from the various train, and I would usually instruct the mail clerk to make it a good, clear one. Uh, going back to the old number three, the combine, I think the thing that kind of uh, tickled me more than anything, all the railroading that I had done and was still doing at that time, was that it was one of the few cars that I had ever ridden in that bent in three directions all at the same time. <laughs> now, as I told you earlier, the track was anything but good. And as the car went along, you sat in the back seat or the last seat towards the rear platform, and you looked up to the middle where John Stapleton or Ernie Jenkins happened to be doing some work or writing out his waybills. Why, that was in a little different position to when you looked further forward to the mail compartment, that was in still a different position. And at each length of rail, the whole car just kind of seemed to change in unison. And it's a darn wonder, the darn thing didn't just up and collapse one of these days uh, before it actually did. The car, I was told, was also, uh, it was unusual because it was a mail, baggage, and a passenger car, all in one. And it originally had been a Boston, a main car that had been considerably altered just for Suncook's operation. I was further told that it was the second such car that this had been done to. Now, I'm not acquainted with the first one, and somebody might just have been telling me a story that uh, there had been one previous to the number three. But uh, I believe that the number three had originally been either a mail car or an open platform car uh, of considerable vintage that they had merely altered one end or the other to it. One thing I do know that the mail department, the U.S. government had pretty strict regulations on the mail and how it traveled by train. They still do. They don't even let it go by train most generally. But on the old Suncook car, because of the way it bent and twisted, they had reinforced one end with railroad rails <laughs> vertically on the end and bolted them to the wooden framework inside. I've taken pictures of it specifically just to take and show it because uh, 
it was a little unusual to have rail running up and down on the end of the car. Usually it ran under the car. In this case, it was both ways. <clears throat> so uh, the old car was really, it was quite something. Also, one of the trips that I made up on it, uh, maybe I'm telling stories out of school, but I got kind of a chuckle out of it. Down at the Concord Station, at that time, Suncook was still carrying uh, Railway Express. And uh, the Shell Oil Company had shipped to, I presume, a Shell dealer in town here and or a little farther from mine, one of the big Shell gasoline signs that was outlined in neon tubing. Well, uh, you've got to be a little bit careful with these things. It was loaded down a Concord on a Railway Express cart, the type that they put coffins on, that's a little higher than the normal ones, a little bit longer too, I think. And they were very careful, people down there slid it on, they got it into the car very nicely. When it got up here to Pittsfield, the station is on a curve, which means that being a kind of a right-hand curve going north out of town, that would make the station side just a little bit higher than what a baggage cart would be on the other side. And as the sign was pushed out in its crating, it uh, was about that much too high to what it should have been to slide right onto that wagon. <laughs> Bang! And there were eight million little pieces of yellow neon tubing all over the place. I don't know who paid for it or who went without a sign. But I remember that specifically. Uh, if it's in the family, forget it, Pat. But if it's uh, somebody else, well, it's been taken care of. Uh, Suncook, uh, has always been kind of a, well, I'm a city boy, but it's, it's been kind of a love to me because all the years that I did come up and ride it afterwards, and uh, I rode it right up to within, I believe, a week from the tail end. I was talking to the fellows that I brought up with me today. I don't know why I missed the last trip. Thank God I did miss the last trip, though, because it got in six or better hours late or some such thing. Everybody went home, including the governor and the governor's aides. And uh, they, uh, there was a disappointing thing uh, about the last trip. The uh, newspaper editor here in town put out a cachet on an envelope denoting the last trip of the railroad, to which I sent him money. It had been advertised in the town paper. And I've been having the town paper sent to me every week, so I knew exactly what was going on. The only thing was that on the cachet, it is a beautiful, big, mainline steam locomotive. It wasn't even a nice line cut of the old number one or anything like that. If I remember correctly, too, it does not have a railroad cancellation even on the envelope. And uh, it was just a, a disappointment all the way around for the money that I had spent to take and have these mailed to various friends and like that. Uh, also, too, uh, I, I figured that, uh, boy, this is the last trip up here would really, it was really going to be something. And, of course, they uh, went on the ground just north of Epsom, I believe, and uh, they spent considerable time there. I think they even left the train there. Lord only knows if uh, they brought any passengers the rest of the way up with them. I know I went up and took pictures of the track. It was just a little worse than normal in that it was just a little wider than normal, but other than that, I couldn't see that there was really that much wrong with it. Uh, I would like to have been up here to see the engine when they took it out and 
took it down to the uh, end of the line to uh, turn it over to Mr. Pinsley and or one of his co-ops. The engine, I think, still exists, and I think it still exists in the state of New Hampshire, but uh, it's up on the Claremont line, and I think it is now numbered 18. Somebody might verify that. It had gone over... 17. Is it 17? I know it had a change of number because the engine has been south. It's been down to Carolina, and it's also run over in the state of Maine. Yeah. And uh, I think over in the state of Maine it carried number... Maybe over there it carried a number of 18 or another number, but I know it has been renumbered. You could always tell it from all the other engines on Mr. Pinsley's line because the striping was not a yellow... Uh, stripe on it, but it was an orangey yellow, and across the front it made just kind of a little dip underneath the headlight. And I was always able to pick it out that way. I think now it's probably painted as Mr. Pinsley paints all his other things, red and yellow all over stripes and what have you. Uh, of all the Suncook pieces of equipment that exist, I think I can stick my neck out and say that I am probably the only one that owns any Suncook Valley Railroad rolling stock. That I have two pieces that I have preserved and I still use. Before the railroad was quite officially abandoned, I was uh, <clears throat> up here with my folks and I was nosing around down to Suncook Station. I think Herb LaSalle was the station agent down there if I remember. And he very graciously took out his B&M key and opened up the far end of the baggage section of the station and showed me that here was the remains of an old three-wheel railroad velocipede. And uh, boy, I tell you, this really set fire. Uh, there it sat, and I wasn't going home without it. So I hot-footed it up here to the Jenny Oil Station down by the river, where Ed Stapleton was then presiding and uh, asked him what chances would be of purchasing the car. Christ, I don't know a damn thing about it. I says, well, it's there. And I says, well, you sell it. What's it look like? Well, I told him, I had a bunch of sticks with some wheels. and Well, he says, you give me $5 for whatever's there? I said, sure, I'll give you $5. So I paid him $5, got my old man to turn around, drive back down to Suncook, showed a bill of sale to Herb LaSalle, Fine, fine. I'll help you load it. One less thing for the kids to burn down. <laughs> so I bought the car, I took it home, and found that after I got home, I had all the pieces except the two front wheel bearings. Supper and Christmas, what was I going to do? So <clears throat> found there was a tag on it. The tag told who built it. I wrote to the manufacturer, and the manufacturer told me, gee, we're sorry, but we have discontinued the parts for that about two years ago. So then I got to thinking, gee whiz, uh, a friend of mine, Linwood Moody, over on the Belfast Moosehead Lake, he had one over to Brook Station that was all kind of going to rot in pieces. So I took and I called Linwood and I told him, I said, hey, I said, uh, can I get the parts off that velocipede you've got over there? No problem. I had a sack come down, Railway Express, and there was all kinds of metal jangling in it, little ball bearings and pieces and hunks and even a complete spare back wheel and the whole bit. And he sent me down everything that the termites hadn't eaten. <laughs> so uh, I got my Velocipede together and running. I have ridden it over on the Boston and Maine, legitimately and illegitimately. 
I have ridden it over the New Haven Railroad, and I have run it there legitimately every time. And I have had the honor of, I don't know if you want to say honor with Mr. Pat McGinnis, but uh, Pat did give me permission to make the last trip of anything over the eastern to southeastern branch of the New Haven Railroad and took it up the following week. So I know I was the last thing to ever run over that. Not even a work train ran over it because they took it up with trucks. Uh, with the Suncook Velocipede, and I have painted it back up as best I knew it was painted, and it is leaded, Suncook Valley. I don't think it ever had a number, but I call it V1 because it's Velocipede number one. And uh, we, over the years, have taken it down to the Narragansett Pier Railroad in Rhode Island where we've had Velocipede races. And uh, I can still pretty much hold my own despite my girth. I can may once I get in motion, I can pretty much keep it on the track and uh, run it. I've taken it up dead clocks with Al Thomas, and uh, it's been in movies, crazy movies, but it's been in movies. And uh, the old Suncook Valley Velocipede has gone around quite a bit. Now I said I had two pieces of equipment. The second thing is actually, I think, a little more interesting and probably a lot rarer. I have a rail bike. I don't know who used it up here. But it was down to the Epsom uh, section house. And this is a bicycle with flanged wheels that are kind of wire wheels. They're about yay big with rubber treads on them for traction. Also, I, I imagine so that uh, it might not trip a signal circuit, although I don't think there's enough weight to actually make it trip one anyway. But this I purchased at considerably more money. As a matter of fact, a heck of a lot more money. And it has been restored, and this goes out on frequent trips. And uh, one of my pet trips that I used to take on it was the Tower Man down in Waltham, Mass. On a Sunday morning, I used to go over there with a buddy of mine who used to skip going to church, and we used to tell his father that he was going to church at St. Elm's. Actually, it was the tower on Elm Street. His father didn't know where St. Elm's was anyway. But uh, we would go over there, and we would ride down on the Watertown branch, down as far as Bemis. Bemis is the section where Newton, Waltham, and Watertown more or less all intersect. Now, old Tommy McHugh used to tell me, he said, now, if anybody stops you, he says, just tell them you're out checking rail bonds. Well, I did this for three, maybe four years. I used to take it out, not every Sunday, but once a month, maybe once every couple of months, and we'd go for a ride. Velocipede and rail bike, a couple of us go for a ride. But on one bright, sunny Sunday morning, I'm just approaching the gray crossing at Bemis, and here's a Watertown cruiser waiting for me. He, was, he didn't just come along, he was waiting for me. <coughs> Excuse me. Hey, what are you doing? Checking rail bonds. Well, what's that thing there? I said, it's a rail bike. Did you ever see one before? No, I never saw one before. What'd you say you're doing? I said, I'm checking rail bonds. Well, rail bonds, those of you that aren't familiar, the rail bonds are the connections between the rails to operate your signal circuits. Well, he was still a bit befuddled and befuddled by the whole thing, and he said, hey, just hang on a minute, buddy. He got in the cruiser and he called the police station. I told him, I said, now I said, you have him call the tower man at Waltham and he'll verify it. <clears throat> so he did. He called Watertown Police Station, told him to call the tower at Elm Street in Waltham, St. Elms. And uh, Tommy McHugh told him, yes, he says, yes, he said, I've got to follow out on the line. He says, checking, checking rail bonds. And uh, the answer came back to the police station. They radioed back to the car and 
He scratches how you suffer in Christ. He says, the guy says that you are. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, the old Suncook Valley uh, rail bike has been down there. It's kind of kind of fun to ride it because uh, you can uh, you can poop along at a pretty good rate of, oh, I'd say, 20-25 miles an hour on it. And uh, I've had an awful lot of fun going here, there, and everywhere else riding on it. The Velocipede, you can go faster. I have been clocked on the straightaway between uh, Bemis and Bleachery Station, or just shy of Bleachery Station in Waltham, at 35 miles an hour. Now, I was a little younger then, and you really, you go to beat the devil, and you don't want to go around a curve too hard the wrong way because it has an outrigger on the outside. And unless that outrigger is really hugging down on the rail, if, and I don't know how they ever ran it, Suncook track must have been better when they used it up here. Because if it ever got to one of those square curves, that outrigger would have just lifted right up and boom, gone down. Uh, I've used both the rail bike and the Velocipede over on the MBTA's Highland branch, which runs is, is the former Boston Albany line that goes out to Riverside. Uh, it's now a trolley line, and when it was converted over, I did get permission from both the MBTA and from Perini to take and take my two pieces of equipment over there and use them. At uh, the times that I did, I had triplicate letters. I had to leave one in the police station in Newton, stating that I was on the line. I had to give one to a guard and keep the other one myself. But I did get to ride over the line before anybody on the MBTA got to ride over it. And they did use it, WBZ, uh, WBZ and WBZ-TV did use pictures of it. And they do have pictures of me pedaling along out on the line. But I had an experience over Newton Highlands between Elliott Station, where the track goes down into Warburton. It's a nice straight stretch. It's slightly downhill. And with the wind behind you, you can go to beat all heck. And I was doing just that. Boy, I thought I was going along great guns. Didn't realize some kid had taken a spike and driven it down between the rail joint on the side that the outrigger was on. Boy, let me tell you, the outrigger, bang, hit that. It flew up in the air, went off on the ground, and there I skidded along with a piece of 107-pound rail. Well, it wasn't comfortable where I skidded along. Anyway. you. Uh, that was a bad experience. Uh, that was a bad trip. Yes, indeed it was. My mother and my father have both ridden on the Velocipede. I did my mother one time. I had permission to take it over on the Needham line, the Newton, uh, Newton Upper Falls to Needham of the New Haven Railroad. Uh, my mother was a pretty good sport. Got her on it. And uh, while she was on it, there was a fellow who I think had been just a bit, little bit left over from the night before staggering down the tracks. He took a look at her. And he just turned and he kind of looked, and I'm pretty sure that on Monday he went on the wagon. <laughs> but, uh, she wasn't pedaling too fast, so he was able to get a good look, too. Uh, <coughs> coming back to, to Sunbrook here, one of the last trips, as a matter of fact, I think it was the last week that I rode on Suncook, the last Saturday that I rode, uh, the uh, coach had then turned into a baggage car, of sorts. It was then a different baggage car, or a different mail and baggage car than what they had been using nearer to the tail end. Uh, I was riding that day. I was also taking movies and taking black and white pictures. And one of the things that 
Oh, gee, it just tickled the devil out of me. I left them at uh, Suncook Station, and I drove up to Blodgett's, where I figured I'd take a movie coming up the hill and going behind the parochial school there. They stopped in the middle of the crossing. There was a fellow there who wanted to ride on the train, and evidently he rode frequently. I would take a guess he rode frequently. The gentleman had also been imbibing in something other than cranberry juice, and he just couldn't get up into the car. So John Stapleton and I believe Walter Smith <coughs> was also running at the tail end. Uh, the two of them, they got down on the ground and each one of them put a shoulder under a cheek and boosted the poor old fella up in. While I stood there with a movie camera in my hand and wet my pants laughing, I didn't take a picture of a thing. <laughs> the other thing that happened in the same area, I remember coming down on a, a spring day when the school was in session, and presuming again that most of you people are familiar with the area, they had an outbuilding. I'm not sure if it was a real outhouse or just an outbuilding behind the... Uh, parochial school down there at Blodgett. But like you would see that maybe Arch McDonald would paint or uh, maybe Norman Rockwell would paint into a picture, here were three boys behind the building up against the railroad fence <laughs> smoking while all the other kids were out playing and the nuns were there making sure that everybody played Ring Around the Rosie and what other games were they were allowed to play during recess. And it was something that you'd only see it in a picture somewhere. And here again, there it was, and there was my camera, and I don't have it today. Uh, they're just some of the, to me, the highlights of Suncook, which uh, I suppose you could take and go on and on and on with the various things over the years. Uh, one other thing that I did have happen, I came up here, I had a, a 36 Buick. I bought it from the bank president down Newton. I thought it was pretty good because I had a bank president's car. It was black. It was more like an undertaker's car. It did have dual sidewall tires on it, and that did pay off. I was in Belfast, Maine to see Linwood Moody one time. I got two flat tires at once, and I had two spare tires, thank God. But uh, came up here and uh, noticed that my gas gauge was going <clears throat> down very fast, much faster than normal. And uh, I stopped over by... Bad Brook Bridge, as I call it, to take a picture of the train. I figured, well, I'll catch him there, and then I'll zip along. I'll catch him up to Epsom. And while we were there, I noticed that there was a little bit of smoke coming out from under the engine hood. We were going to lift it up, found that the pipeline, and I think that Buick must have had a half-inch pipeline coming from the gas tank to the carburetor, was <laughs> dripping gasoline on the hot manifold. It had cracked, and I had a nice break in it. So as the train came up, I flagged him down. I told Ernie Jenkins what happened. He says, well, you take it up to the garage up in Epsom. He says, and we'll wait for you. And by gosh, they did. We got in the car. We zipped along. I took it over to the garage. Uh, the name of the people that own the garage uh, uh, escapes me right at the moment. I think it's the same people that have the oil company up there. Right. Huckins Oil there. And... Uh, told them what the problem was, asked them they'd fix it, and I told them I'm going up to Pittsfield, come back down, I'll pick it up on the down trip. They took care of me very nicely. One other thing, uh, well, I took it up there, I had to walk back from the garage, which is 
several hundred feet actually from the railroad station, and the railroad station was in off the road, not at the corner of the road. So by gosh, uh, they did wait first to take them, get back down, and they held the train. One other time, uh, Ed Stapleton took and uh, didn't tell me he was going to change the train schedule. Of course, he wasn't supposed to tell me anyway, but he changed it. He changed it by either 15 minutes or a half an hour for some reason. Uh, I think I said earlier the train. I thought the tra the down train came down like at either 12:30 or 1:15 or something like that. Well, they jumped the schedule back the other way instead of the 1:15 train. It was then the quarter of one train, and I was up in the eating place down here on Elm Street. <clears throat> I think it's Arthur's diner or Arthur's lunch or something, something like that. Now I don't know what it was then, but. Uh, there we were eating, taking our time, figuring there was all kinds of time to kill. And, uh, gee, Ernie Jenkins come in and says, come on, come on. He says, we're holding the train for you. <laughs> well, he knew very well that I had no other means to get back. And he knew where I'd gone to eat. Now, there aren't very many railroads that'll do that. <laughs> now, I know that delayed him a good 10 minutes. Now, for the most part, Ernie Jenkins could be a cantankerous old son of a gun. And he could be grouchy as all get out, but say as you want. Uh, he was grouchy to me sometimes too, but he also had a good side too, because uh, by golly, uh, he did look out for me, and there's a good instance of it. Uh, George's brother-in-law, Johnny uh, Stapleton, uh, cripes, uh, he made every trip a fan trip. Uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to take pictures of? And uh, it got to the point that... Uh, Every time I saw Pat's father, he just used to get on, he says, and don't bother paying. He says, we'll square up later. And at the end, I never did pay. He gave me a few passes, and none of them ever had my name on them. Uh, I've still got them, thank goodness. <clears throat> but uh, that's probably, yeah, that's probably one of the reasons the railroad went out of business. <laughs> yeah, for all the times they carried me for nothing. But I'm sure that there are others that did the same. That wraps up this week's episode of High Green. If you'd like to be on the show or know somebody who might have some interesting stories about the Boston and Maine Railroad or its legacy, please reach out to us. You can email us at bmrrhs at gmail.com or send us a message right on Facebook. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to have you back next time for some more great stories about the Boston and Maine Railroad and its legacy right here in New England.